Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, a podcast mini-series that seeks to empower and support women who are on the journey of growing and scaling their business. We'll speak with inspiring women about their stories and get practical advice from entrepreneurs who've been there before. This podcast has been created in partnership with Albright. Thank you for joining us. Hello, everyone. Big welcome to everybody joining us and of course to Adriana as well for joining us. So our session today will focus on funding, which is important to so many entrepreneurs. So really, really happy to be here hosting the session. My name is Kelly Moritz. I lead our international business banking team for HSBC in the U.S. Women in particular face significant challenges in accessing and raising capital as entrepreneurs securing less than 5% which is less than 5% of capital um, than our male counterparts. So today, I'm really happy to be here with Adriana Samaniego. She is a principal of the Female Founders Fund. Adriana will talk to us about her experience both as an investor and in funding her business to help you understand and prepare for your own journey, accessing the capital you need to accelerate your business. The Female Founders Fund is a preeminent early stage fund investing in female-founded technology companies who have invested in over 50 of fast-growing female-led technology companies nationwide. Adriana previously worked at JetBlue Ventures, Harlem Capital Partners, and New Media Ventures, and has spent eight years in technology, formerly as a co-founder and co-CEO at Area 120 Google Startup Incubator, and created Google's Global Supplier Diversity Program that created over $2 billion and opportunities for diverse-owned businesses. So thank you, Adriana, for joining us today. So why don't I kick off with the first question, and you can, of course, share a little bit more about your background as well. So you've had an incredible career, as we've just heard, working on both sides of the table as a businesswoman and an investor. Upon reflection, what advice would you give yourself if you were starting out on your journey again? Thank you so much, Callie, and to HSBC uh, for having me here. It's critical now more than ever to have these type of conversations. And so in terms of, you know, my background, Callie, as you mentioned, it's been a little bit of everything. My path has gone a lot of different ways and really started off in big tech. That is my story. And then I became an entrepreneur. And so what that meant for me was really building programs, products, teams, inside of Google for several years. And then finally, really finding my passion and calling, which was the intersection, as I describe, of business and inclusion. And that's when I created uh, Google's first supplier diversity program. It was actually the first high-tech company to ever have a supplier diversity program. And in two years, we created you know, $2 billion in opportunity for women and minority-owned businesses. After that, I decided to to really take the leap into entrepreneurship. I did it in a very safe manner, I would say, but I um, left my my job and applied to what is Alphabet's incubator called Area 120 in a couple of years, building a B2B marketplace inside of there that they backed. 
Fantastic. Thank you. And is there one thing that stands out that you would tell your more junior yes. self as you're starting, particularly <laughs> as you look at your own business and making that jump? Any initial advice at least you give yourself? When I reflect on my career, I think and would have told myself to take the the leap and bigger bigger risks uh, faster um, and sooner. And so all of us reflect on that. But um, I was what I described as an entrepreneur for several years. And I had a lot of ideas, but I allowed fear of failure and perfection to kind of take several years to, to start something. And I also know that um, I would probably tell myself like high expectations are fantastic, but in terms of motivating you to achieve fantastic mm -hmm. things, incredible things, but ultimately you have to understand that sometimes it's unrealistic to, to meet perfection, et cetera. And also probably would tell myself to have a little bit more fun earlier and not take myself too seriously. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that echo in my head that you've just talked about. The fear of failure is such a strong emotion and letting go of that and recognizing that we can learn often is a tipping point or a turning point in careers or in in businesses as they take the next step or finding the new business. So absolutely great, great advice. The other thing that stood out that you mentioned as part of your intro is that intersection between business and inclusion and making that a really important conversation and, and making mm -hmm. sure that that's considered when we are looking at investor conversations or investor partnerships. And I know the Female Founders Fund is strongly grounded in its mission to empower women, which is fantastic and, and why we're here. So why is having such a strong focus on female entrepreneurs so important from your perspective? Kelly, you said it. Ultimately, what it comes down to is there is a large funding gap. And this funding gap has existed for decades. And it's one of those things where I get so excited. I told you my, my intersection is business and inclusion. But ultimately... If I look back at, you know, Female Founders Fund and why we got started, we're currently the largest seed fund for female founders. And we got started in 2014. And at that time, less than 2% of venture capital was going towards female founded companies with all female founders. And even then, like where you have like a male and a female founder, it was still a really large uh, delta. Now, if we fast forward seven years later, ask yourself, what do you think that number is today? It's 2.3%. And so, and it's gone back and forth and back. It's one point, it was 2.7, but we, we really have not gotten over 3% uh, at any point. And so there's a, a really large issue. And when you look at the data, women are starting businesses faster than the national average. We are also exiting our businesses faster with less funding. So there's continued research that is showing that it is great for business. It's great for the economy. When you look at the workforce, women make up 56% of the workforce. And in terms of businesses as well, we're 42% of all businesses in the U.S. But we need to ensure that these businesses have the right access. When you think of like the macro effect that this can have, it really excites me. There's a study that came out that showed that if we were to close the gender investing gap or the gender gap in business, it would add 1.6 to like $2.3 trillion to the global GDP. That's like a 2 to 3% increase. So the amount of jobs that this could affect, this would affect everyone. And there's not a lot of things that can affect our GDP in, in that manner. And so 
I'm just incredibly hopeful and excited and hungry to ensure that more female founders are having the opportunity and getting funded and building, you know, the next generation of generational businesses. Yeah, yeah, which is fantastic. And diversity of thoughts and diversity and inclusion, so important for success. And to hear some of those statistics, it still is mind boggling the opportunity that we have in front of us just to bring people together to be successful. And what the Female Founders Fund, what you are doing is definitely moving us in the right direction. So thank you. Why don't we move on to finding the right investors? And what does that look like? A lot of times, female entrepreneurs, female business owners, you know, that can be a challenge because the networks may be different and, and opening doors can be more of a challenge. So what would you say is the most important starting point for business owners when considering their funding options? Yeah, absolutely. So first, I think the first thing to to be clear is I don't necessarily think there's a right or one way to fund your business. I think the most important thing when you're thinking, how do I find the right investors is the preparation and research. You need to understand First thing first, it's like, let's get to the basic. What What is your business? Where do you ultimately want to take this business? But before even deciding how to finance your business, you need to understand and be prepared and determine how much money do you actually need to make this business successful, anticipating your expenses and going through that exercise. What do you need right now? What are some of those expenses and what we call startup costs? But then what will you need in, in 12 months time? And where do you want your business to be in 12 to 18 months? Really, you need to understand the ins and outs and the economics of your business. And, and then we can kind of go into you know uh, the pros and cons of, of the different funding types. And the last thing I'll mention that a lot of people don't focus on enough, I in my opinion, is... So once you've done those pieces and you're understanding, okay, this is what I need to maintain my business. Maybe you don't need venture capital, for example. If you do bring on any sort of outside investors who who have a say, an equity stake in, in your business, the finding the right investors is important. When I say finding the right, it's it's that cultural fit. This is a partnership. Yeah. This is five to 10 years that you're going to be working with this person. And so you need to ensure that they're the right people that you want at the table because they will have a large voice and role in your business. And um, oftentimes I think people are thinking of the check size or the valuation and those are not the right things to optimize for. I think you need to optimize for is this person and can I build mutual trust with them? Do they understand what I'm doing? Are they going to micromanage every decision I make, for example, and do you want that? And so it very much is a marriage. And I think that a lot of founders forget that in the earliest stage. And, and in many senses, I understand because it is so difficult that you you want to take the, the first check that you get, but also try to be picky and really thoughtful about those individuals that you're bringing into your, your business, because this is, this is your baby uh, and your legacy that you're building. Yeah, I think that's so, so true. And I think your comments about it is like a marriage. <laughs> you know, when you start thinking about who who to bring to the table to invest in your business um, and finding the right investors, such an important conversation to have um, to make sure there is that fit culturally um, to make sure that 
potentially their network or their experience will add value to what you're looking to do as part of your business as your growth plan. You did touch on VC or venture capital um, and, and potentially other sources of funding. And I know mm-hmm. that venture capital does get a lot of airtime, shall we say, and, and can often be a default for entrepreneurs or business owners looking to grow. But there are other funding sources. So could you help us kind of think through or talk through the different alternatives and maybe a bit around pros and cons that you would consider? Absolutely. Yeah. We'll start from the first part. There's what we call bootstrapping self-funding. A lot of companies do that. And it obviously very much depends on you as a person and where you are in your life and how much ability you have to do this. For example, I did not, I would not be able to bootstrap my my business um, completely on my own back in the day. That's one And then you have the angels, um, and these are individuals, accredited investors who do this either full-time or on the side where they're investing small checks, anywhere from $1,000 to, you know, $250,000, even larger checks. And those are very early. The nice thing about angels is they don't require the same level of, of diligence and preparation. They have a very high risk tolerance, so that's always a great path. I know it is difficult to find angels, but there are now, thankfully, a lot of, I believe it was first round capital just came out with a database of angels. So there are more databases to locate these angels because I think one of the difficulties around funding in general, especially outside of traditional small business loans and funding, it is who you know, which is unfortunate. And so having those databases is important. The next one, which has become a lot more popular that I think a lot of people should consider even before VC is crowdfunding. And this includes a new platforms like Republic, for example. And, and then, of course, you have this private funding, which is when I say private funding, this consists of venture capital. And this is, you know, I'm giving you X a million dollars for 10% of your company. And you know, the, the, the difficult thing with venture capital is it's not that first $1 million, 10%. Usually you need a little bit more than $1 million. And unfortunately for investors, the way that the, the model works is we want you to raise more capital. So those incentives, if you're looking for a venture, you know, for me to invest in your business and your plan is like, I only need to raise $2 million for the entirety just to, to reach, you know, break even, even a positive you're likely not a fit because we are looking for you to raise a series A, a series B and for a large exit outcome. And so just make sure those incentives are aligned because ultimately you have hundred percent of the pie, but then after every single round, there's dilution that happens and your, your ownership gets smaller, but of course the value of your company um, gets larger. And then you have this thing called private equity and that could be, you know, a growth round, meaning, you could have run, there's businesses, uh, women-owned businesses who are manufacturing, for example, they leverage small business loans, which everyone knows. And then we're running, you know, a phenomenal business, reached great capacity, 50 million, $100 million in revenue. And a private equity firm could look to uh, buy you out, for example, and try to do a roll-up. So that's another one. And there's also private funding um, uh, in terms of debt financing. And so when we talk of debt financing, this is the bank. This is you getting small business loans, micro loans, grants from nonprofits, the federal government. There are a lot of resources and grants for women-owned businesses. There are 
also debt financing for private, which, you know, that comes at a, a higher interest rate, of course, and there's other things. And then there's things like revenue-based financing. I know I mentioned a lot of things. I think I just mentioned probably eight, but when you're looking at your business, going back to what are my expenses? Where do I want to be in five years? What does this business look like in five years? How much money do I need to get started? Who do I want at the table? How much control do you want? Consider those routes of funding. And I tell people that I've invested in to apply to accelerators, apply to grants, especially if you're doing, you know, something, for example, within healthcare and you could get a healthcare grant for research and that's free money. I, I want all founders here to focus on how do I get that non-dilutive capital? Well, I mean, that's a huge amount of information. So thank you for that. But I, I think it really did highlight the opportunity that's out there, but also the complexity of it. Sometimes, as you just pointed out, certainly it's not one size fits all. And then your point around free money, there are grants, particularly for female-led or um, diverse businesses, you know, to, to look where there's opportunity for free money or grants, I should say. Exactly. And banking, you know, there within banking, there are a lot of different pieces. Um, and so think about banking that you need to consider uh, is it does take into consideration your your personal like credit score and or, you know, the revenue that you may, if you have no revenue, then then that will will be something. And so just doing your research, there are a lot of organizations out there, including WeBank, which is the Women Business Enterprise National Council. You have organizations like Albright, you have organizations uh, accelerators, et cetera. So kind of going into, into those opportunities, I would research those opportunities before, unless you're, again, there, if there's o- the only way to get your business off the ground is, is, is venture, then, then absolutely. And if you think that this is a venture backable business, and when I say venture backable business, I think sometimes that gets a little confusing. Uh, people don't quite understand what that means. Again, it goes to the incentives. The incentives is that that you are, the expectations is that you will raise multiple rounds of funding and that you will grow at an, a very accelerated pace. That means 10X, 20X, we're looking, you know, for people, we, we're ultimately looking for a billion dollar business to be valued at a billion dollar business, to IPO, to exit maybe to a strategic. But, you know, some of these companies are getting, for an example, from the point I invested to four years later, they had a hundred million dollars in revenue. That that's one of those things that it's like gets us super excited, but that mm-hmm. also doesn't mean that you have a bad business or you know not the right business. For example, that some of the the most successful women-owned businesses in the U.S. today are not venture backable. They they did not receive VC funding. Absolutely, do your homework and. Um, and the resources are out there. You mentioned the angel database and looking into the different sources that can help. So yeah, thank you for that. Why don't we move on to pitching? So now that we've sort of thought through where the business is at, what kind of investment or funding are we looking for going forward? So then taking the next step of having the conversation, in some cases it will be pitching. Mm -hmm. So Adriana, in your experience supporting and guiding founders as well as your own business, what are the key factors or any key factors that you have found investors are always looking for 
when presenting a pitch and any do's and don'ts that may go along and don'ts that may go along. With yeah. You. Oh gosh. Okay. I want to first acknowledge that pitching probably is one of the most nerve wracking things. And I think as being on the other end, I am aware of this and I try to, to really listen and be respectful and have a lot of empathy because I've been on the other side, which is also why uh, it's important, not important, but it's nice to have investors who have been in your shoes and understand what that feels like. It, what really stands out in, in pitching is doing your homework, being prepared. And you have to understand that every investor prioritizes different data and information. Everyone is different. There's not a one size fits all and doing your homework will pay off really having a targeted list of people. I think today's investors in particular are looking for a lot more than just a clear and you know coherent pitch. That's yeah. kind of the the baseline. And especially in today's market, if you're taking if I'm taking a meeting with you, that means I, I I've looked at your your information already and it's 30 minutes of your of my time, of your time. And so apart from like the being prepared, there has to be more. And so when, what investors are looking for is you know, to ensure like in that 30 minute time, and most people are making these judgments pretty early in that call is, is this the right person? Can I put my trust in this person? Um, and will this have like a large outcome? The most important thing is for me as person, and I think founders forget that, especially at the early stage. Now, if you're you're raising a growth round or something, it's going to really be around the, the data. But in in that early early pitch, mm-hmm. the most important thing is you uh, as a founder. That's people are investors are simply trying to understand: Can you be trusted with their money? Are you going to be the right person? Do you have the right plan? and uh, experience to to do this. Are you coachable, for example? Do you want to be confident? You want to have a clear roadmap, but remember that all, we are humans and you have to tell a story. How do you get our attention really, really quickly? For us, we do 30-minute calls, first meeting. And so in that 30 minutes, how are you getting their attention when we're taking dozens of these calls? And so when I talk about the do's and don'ts. So we'll start with the don'ts. The don't that, that you need to like avoid is sending a very long email. It gets lost in the abyss, unfortunately. It's to put every single thing um, in that email. And it is difficult for us to, to adjust, especially if it's a cold email. And so if you're doing those cold emails, and I've seen people do them exceptionally well, where I have responded, where it's a short email, and I can clearly like see why is this important? Why now? Why me? And this is some like exciting data points as to giving me validation and getting comfortable that this this is going somewhere. The other thing that you don't want to do is you don't want to cast the widest net because what happens there is you end up not knowing who you're pitching. And that is you know, a waste of your time, a waste of their time. You end up, you know, spending 30 minutes in a meeting and they tell you, oh, actually you're too early for us. Well, you should have known that prior to you setting that meeting up. You should have known their check size, some of the companies they they, they invested in. If you email me and you're you're asking me to invest in your series A, I, I ignore the email because I'm like, we, we're a seed investors. It clearly states that on our website. If you are a competitor, 
you also need to take that into consideration. It's completely okay for you, for a founder to email us and say, here's, you know, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, why we're the right team and some exciting traction, that early traction that we're seeing. I also, I noticed that you're an investor in X company. I don't see it competitive, but please let me know if this is, you know, uh, the right fit for you. I want to be mindful of your time. That is important because I know that you did your homework at least. And so you just have to make sure you you know who you're, you're pitching. And then other do's that I don't think a lot of people do is like, okay, so you did your research, you found, you know, the right people to target in terms of, of VCs you've prepared, you've practiced, you go into that pitch. You need to know that not every meeting is, is going to have the same outcome, but try to learn from every pitch conversation that you have. So in that conversation, get a sense of, are they listening? Am I grabbing you know, their attention? Are they asking questions? Are they asking questions that you anticipated? So reflect after that meeting. Did they ask any questions? Did they, after you know multiple meetings, are they asking the same questions? Because that may be you're not quite explaining yeah. um, your solution or model, you know, appropriately. And so, think, reflect after each meeting, and kind of make those adjustments in, in your pitch and your delivery. You know, you mentioned again about do your homework. You know, make sure you know who you're talking to. Make sure that when you're reaching out, you know, short and sweet and, and to the point about why you're reaching out, what that conversation should look like. And then um, don't be afraid to tell a story. It is, um, again, just grabbing their attention, telling a story and knowing that you don't need every single person. You only need a couple. You need one or two. What, and it's really that first lead investor that um, will will change the direction of your mm-hmm. business. Right. Yes. And finding the right one so important. And it, it, it's a two way street often, or it is a two way street. So yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you wish you knew then that you know now, particularly maybe with your own your own business? In terms of learning, uh, it's incredibly hard right now. I want to acknowledge, you know, what's happening in the markets. Um, it's incredibly hard for everyone, but it's incredibly hard for female founders. You are not an outlier. You will receive a lot of no's, um, but you only need a couple of yeses and you just have to continue to persevere and be resilient. And I think the nine times out of 10 hard work is is going to to win. And so remembering that, I think that that is something luck has always played a little bit of, of, of a role or always will play a role. But for people here and thinking back, it's like continue to just have the highest level of conviction for yourself for what you're doing and know that, you know, you'll have a lot of um, ups, but you'll have downs and you, it's just the, the name of the, mm. the game. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Um, Adriana, thank you so much for your time today. Um, so thank you for your thoughts. I think, again, doing your homework, being confident in yourself, being confident in the business and, and making sure that you're exploring all options to support your business and, and the growth that's to come. So thank you very much. Absolutely. You've been listening to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, HSBC's podcast mini-series dedicated to supporting women on the path of growing and scaling their own businesses. To access more resources for female entrepreneurs, please refer to the description of this podcast. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. 
please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.